Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to Jude chapter, uh, or verse number three. The book of Jude only has one chapter, so Jude verse number three. And Jude wrote, he said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered, once for all delivered to the saints. Now the word faith here is not used in the... uh, subjective sense or in the sense of your personal faith to believe God for something. When it talks about the faith which was once delivered to the saints, it's talking about the the body of Christian truth, the body of doctrine uh, that we call the Christian faith. And he said here, he said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And he tells us why in verse 4. For certain men have kept in, crept in unaware or unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, ungodly men get into the church not only denying the grace of God, And not only turning the grace of God into lewdness, not only denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, but anytime anybody denies any fundamental truth of the New Testament, they're not motivated by God. Amen. If if someone uh, comes into the church or has a, a voice in the larger church, you know, the universal church, and they advocate something that's unscriptural, that couldn't be motivated by God. That would have to be motivated uh, by the devil. Now, not all people that do that are ungodly. Some people are just uninformed. But even though they're uninformed, false doctrine, the devil's always behind false doctrine. And, and, and And a good person can fall into this simply because they're blinded. And the enemy works to keep people blinded. Amen. But But the bigger point here is that Jude was exhorting the church to earnestly contend for the faith. The word contend means to fight. In fact, one translation, I think the Phillips translation, says something to that point or, or to that effect. He said, I, I, I exhort you to put up a, a robust fight defending the faith. And so that's what we want to do tonight. Uh, not so much to, to give you uh, a teaching of something you didn't know, but to give you uh, the tools you know to help somebody else know it. And it has to do with the Holy Spirit and the experience that we have as New Testament believers of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we're living in, in a, a time right now, and I believe 2017 we're going to see things happen in the church as dramatic in the spirit realm, as we saw happen in the natural realm in 2016. God moved powerfully in our nation and really turned some things upside down and, and really uh, uh, did things that, that people would have considered impossible at the beginning of the year. Well, I believe the same thing is available in the spirit realm this year. And our what God wants to do, we, we've, we've uh, heard from the Lord about uh, a, a visitation coming to America, a renewal, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Well, all of that involves the spirit-filled life. I mean, being saved and then also being filled with the spirit is going to be a key part of, of what God is doing going forward. The revival and the move of God is not going to be a uh, non-spirit-filled move. It's going to be a spirit-filled move. Well, uh, we have to know how to earnestly defend that because we're, we, we 
are at, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're on, the, on the front lines of this. We've been praying for this. And uh, God will use us. And our church, uh, and, and Pentecostal churches in general, it is what God has given us. It is the thing that makes us distinctive. Now, there's some other distinctions as well. But, you know, all the things that we at Impact emphasize, faith, our authority in Christ, our redemptive rights and privileges in Christ, all those things, really, they all stand on the truth of the Spirit-filled life. I mean, that is fundamental to all of those things. And without that truth, without the truth of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you took that away from us, or we lost that witness or that testimony, uh, we would be no, no different, really, than a Baptist church. Now, I don't say that despairingly of the Baptists. The Baptists are wonderful people. And the, the various Baptist denominations make a tremendous uh, contribution to the, to the body of Christ and to the gospel. They are, the Baptists stand for uh, upholding the word of God. They're, they're, they, ba- Baptist people, now you know there's backsliders in every denomination. But I'm talking about people who live their Baptist faith. They exemplify some of the highest and best attributes of Christianity. Okay? So we're not, we're not diminishing them. They have, they have an important contribution. But they're not Lutheran. If you, do you know any Lutheran? Do you know any Baptists? Well, do you know any Presbyterian? They're not the same. Isn't that right? They're different. They believe different things. They emphasize different things. So, so what the Baptist has... What they have is important. What the Presbyterians have is important. What the Lutherans have is important. What we have is important. And so uh, it's not enough to know, it's not enough to believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's not even enough to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. That's, that'll get you what, what you need. But in, in look, looking uh, at this from the standpoint of what God is doing and what we expect him to do in revival and the move of God in these days, we have to be able to defend these things. Not, I didn't say defensiveness. I'm not talking about being defensive. What, what, I'm ta- what, what I'm talking about tonight is called apologetics. The, you know, the word apologize did not, re- did not originally mean to... Uh, ask forgiveness for something you've done wrong or to admit you know, you, you, that you, you did something wrong. The original meaning of the word apology uh, from the 16th century meant to defend something. That's what the word originally meant. It wasn't until the 18th century that it came to mean most commonly to, uh, to ask forgiveness for doing something wrong. There was a the, the the meaning of the word changed over time, and so what I when a, a minister stands up like I'm tonight and goes over what we believe and why we believe it is called Christian apologetics, and the question you should you should ask yourself is, yes, even though I'm a spirit filled Christian, can I answer the objections of other people? You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and particularly speaking in other tongues, is looked down on by a lot of Christians. Now, it used to be far worse than it is today. I grew up in a Pentecostal church in the 1950s and the 60s, and, and it was even worse in my parents' time and, and, and uh, on towards, you know, back toward the, the beginning of the 20th century. It was really bad. But growing up in the 50s and 60s, uh, you know, I, I was ashamed to let people uh, at, you know, at school know that I went to a Pentecostal church because, you know, we were looked down on. We were the poor church on the other side of town, even though our church was different. We had a large church. It was pretty prosperous. The Pentecostal churches in general were on the other side of the tracks, uh, and, and they were, we were snubbed by mainstream Christianity. Now, when the charismatic renewal hit, in the 60s and then really uh, flourished and, and snowballed into the 70s, you know, 
uh, it brought the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the mainstream denominations. Every mainstream denomination of the Christian church was affected by the, by the charismatic renewal. Baptists were being filled with the Holy Ghost. Lutherans were being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Catholics were laying hands on the sick, casting out devils. I mean, you know, Presbyterians, Episcopals, you know, every group. And, and it really brought the baptism of the Holy Spirit mainstream. But there's still a lot of prejudice. There's still a lot of opposition. And that opposition... Uh, you know, reasserts itself. So, so my aim tonight is, is, is uh, twofold. I, I, I not only want you to know what we believe and why we believe, I want you to be able to explain this to somebody else. I want you to be able to answer questions when honest people have honest questions. Now, if somebody wants to fight and argue, I just don't even, I don't even talk to people like that because you, you can't win a, a Bible argument. But when someone really wants to know, you ought to be able to give them an answer. Now, tonight, you should be taking notes. Amen. Because this is going to be line upon line uh, of apologetics or explaining uh, things from a biblical perspective. You ought to be taking notes. And even really, if you wanted to, I'd give you my notes after I'm done. Because they're, they're, real, they're real brief. They're not a lot of detail. They're just highlights. And then you could, you know, you could fill in the gaps, but, but you ought to at least be taking notes uh, so that you know, take the, the primary points down and the scriptures and, and so that you can uh, be someone that can bring this experience to somebody else, amen? Because like I said, in, in this move of God, in, in these days, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to be front and central and it will be controversial. It, is con- it always has been, it is now, it, and it will be. It'll still be controversial, and there'll be people that, who, who will struggle with things they've heard that are not scriptural, things they've been taught, un- you know, so forth. So uh, uh, my, my, my title today or tonight for this message, message is, Is Speaking in Tongues a Valid Experience Today? Because there's a lot of people that, uh, many people believe in the Christian church, believe in quote-unquote, a baptism in the Spirit. It's the speaking with tongues they don't believe in. Or said a little differently, a lot of people believe you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit but not speak with tongues, that it, that it doesn't involve that. Some believe that it never involves that, that speaking with tongues has passed away. Others have a more uh, a view where they say, well, I can see that some people speak in tongues but I don't believe everybody does and usually those people will end up not speaking with other tongues and so they they miss out on the blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So uh, uh, I'm going to go over these fairly quick, uh, quickly. Is speaking in tongues a valid experience? Please take notes uh, on either writing or on a tablet or something. Number one, I want to put these first three uh, uh, points out real quick and then go back and, and, and uh, flesh them out. Number one, is speaking in tongues a valid experience for today? Yes, because number one, the Old Testament prophets foretold it. The Old Testament prophets foretold the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Jesus endorsed it himself, and it happened. <laughs> That's the third point. It happened. The baptism, the, the, the day of Pentecost did come, and people were filled with the Spirit, and they did speak with other tongues. Amen. So number one, the Old Testament prophets foretold it. Go over with me real quickly to, to uh, uh, Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And look at verse number 11 and 12. Ezekiel 28, 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing. Pentecostal people who've been filled with the Spirit and speak with other tongues can all attest to the spiritual rest and refreshing that comes from speaking with other tongues. Well, the prophet foretold it. For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Now notice the last sentence there of that verse, yet they would not hear. That's, a, that's, a, that's part of the prophecy too, that people would speak with other tongues, but some people would reject it, okay? 
Now, go over with me. T- I'm sorry, what's the problem? Did I say Ezekiel? I'm so sorry. See, that's why you need to know your Bible. It's Isaiah 28. I have it right in front of me. Well, it took y'all a long time to correct this. <laughs> I mean, there's only one Ezekiel 11 in the Bible. <laughs> now, this is uh, uh, Isaiah 11. See, now, if I had been sitting where you are, I know this. If I had been listening to Brother Doodad and he made that mistake, right away, I'd have known he missed it. That's not Ezekiel, that's, that's Isaiah 28. You need to know that. If you don't know where this is, you're, you're missing something that you need to, to be able to share with somebody else because this is a very important uh, point of the validity of, of speaking with tongues today. It was foretold in the Old Testament. So let's go back and read it together this time. For with verse number 11, Isaiah 28, verse 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing. And then the last part of that is, yet they would not hear. So there are people who will not hear, but there's still a rest and a refreshing and it's called here the stammering lips and another tongue. Now, how do we know this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues? We know this because this verse is quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the great verse in the New Testament outlining the gifts of the Spirit. So turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <clears throat> the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 has to do with speaking with other tongues. It's the, that's the whole chapter's devoted to it. Now notice in verse 21, in the law it is written, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 21, in the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but to those who believe. We won't get into all of the the nuances of verse 22. But I wanted you to see in verse 21 and the first part of 22 that the prophecy in Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12 has to do with speaking with other tongues. So the Old Testament prophet Isaiah predicted this. Not only that, now turn back to the Old Testament and look at the book of Joel Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Joel. The books get smaller as you go through the Bible from in the different groupings. In Joel chapter 2, notice verse number 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see see visions and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now you might say, well, what, what does this prophecy have to do with speaking with other tongues? Well, if you go over to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, you'll see that the, on the day of Pentecost, verse 1, you know, they were all, or verse 1 before, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Verse number 14, Peter standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This what? This speaking with other tongues. This is what caused all the commotion in Jerusalem that day. Everybody heard them speaking with other tongues. Peter said, this, this speaking with other tongues that you hear today, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall shall dream dreams and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So what happened on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and particularly the speaking with other tongues because that's what got everybody's attention that day. 
That, had, that is what had all of Jerusalem uh, in amazement. It, the whole story of the day, the headline and from, the, from the front of the paper all the way to the back of the newspaper was speaking with other tongues. And the apostle Peter stood up and said, this is what Joel was talking about in Joel chapter 2. So we see point number one, the Old Testament prophets foretold it. Point number two, Jesus endorsed it. Go with me and you know, do you know where I'm going? Anybody know where I'm going? <laughs> the Gospels. Mark chapter 16. This is the only place Jesus ever mentioned it. So at least half of the crowd should have said, oh yeah, I know you're going to Mark chapter 16. See, this is, this is listen, this is why, not being able to answer that question I just, just asked, this is why I'm teaching this. So, well, I'm not a pastor. Yeah, but you're supposed to know your Bible. Well, you know, don't get offended at me. Sister Iris didn't. The rest of you said, oh, no, no, no. You're supposed to know your Bible. I want you to know your Bible because people need you to know. Hungry people this year will need you to know. Point number two, Jesus endorsed it. Well, where did he endorse it? In Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, and the point is in verse 17, we'll start in verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we know we're talking about the gospel era, right? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So he's talking about the time of the church age when the gospel is being preached, people are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. Some are rejected, rejecting it and they're being condemned but so it's talking about the day in which we live he's he's saying this these signs will follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons number two they will speak with new tongues so Jesus looking forward to the days ahead he said these things will happen this, 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 these signs will follow those who believe one of them is that their follow his followers his followers will speak with new tongues. So number two, Jesus endorsed it. Number three, it came to pass. Did it not come to pass? Does everybody know where it came to pass? Acts chapter two, thank you. Praise the Lord, you're catching on. Hallelujah. Acts chapter two, it came to pass on the day of Pentecost. So it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus endorsed it and said it's coming and then it actually happened. That's why a lot of times on Sunday morning, I have people, you know, to raise your hand. How many of you here uh, are filled with the Holy Spirit and you speak to other tongues? People raise their hand. I said, I, I do that so that people can't say, well, it, this, it, it no longer happens. Well, it certainly does happen because we're all evidence up to that fact. Isn't that right? But not only do we have something, we see the testimony of the scripture it came to pass. Now, point number four, all people groups in the Bible received this experience. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse number 31, Paul said, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, or to the church of God. Did, did you know that according to the Bible, there are only three ethnic groups in the world? God only looks at the human race divided into three groups. And that is Jew, Greek here means Gentile, Jews, Gentile, and the church. That's the only groups of people. God doesn't look at the different ethnic groups among all, all the Gentile nations. A Gentile is anybody that's not saved and is not a Jew. doesn't matter where you're from, what nation you're from. God doesn't look at, at all the different races like we do. There's three races as far as God's concerned, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. And once a person gets born again, whether he was a Jew or he was a Gentile, if either a Jew or a Gentile gets born again, the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new species altogether. 
And, and Ephesians talks about taking from the two of the Jew and the Gentile and of, of those two making one new man. That new man is Christ. So in God's view, there aren't all these other races. There's Jew, Gentile, and church. You know, today, everybody's talking about race. Everybody's hollering racism. Racism, you're a racist. You know, if you don't agree with anybody, you're a racist. That's absurd. I have strong opinions about uh, the president, our president, who is leaving office here uh, in a few days. Uh, I opposed a lot of things that uh, he did and does, but it has nothing to do with the color of his skin. It has to do with, the, with, the, with the, his character what he stands for and what he believes in. It has nothing to do with race. And so there's a lot of concern about racism today, and a lot of it is, is, is not valid. I don't, I'm not saying none of it's valid, but uh, the vast majority of it is not valid. And listen, if, you, if, you, if you're attending Impact and you think you found a sanctuary uh, for racists, think again. This is not a racist church. And, and, if, you, and if you have... Uh, if you struggle with not liking people of other races, uh, just stick around. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to the cross. That'll get washed out of you. Amen. Because it's not of God. Amen. And but in 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 the Bible days, they were actually more racist than people are even alleged to be today. Jews looked down their nose on all other people. They thought they were far superior. And they weren't ashamed of it either. They weren't ashamed to admit it. Gentiles looked down on the Jews. And both of them looked down on Samaritans. Samaritans were uh, uh, what what they were considered half-bred Jews. And, you know, in in Bible days, to, to be of a mixed breed or a mixed race... Boy, nobody liked you. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. You remember Jesus met the woman at the well, you know, and she said, what, what are you, you know, a Jew asking, asking for water from me, a Samaritan woman? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And, of course, it didn't, it didn't bother Jesus, though, did it? And so the, so the Samaritans were looked down by the Jews, and then they were also looked down by the Gentiles because they were half Jews. So nobody liked the Samaritans. Well, all people groups, according to the New Testament, received this experience of speaking with other tongues. Jewish believers received it on the day of Pentecost. Isn't that right? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, you'll find that, that the 12 apostles, this is counting Matthias, who replaced Judas, of course, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, his half, Jesus' half-brothers, many of the other women and, and other disciples that were followers of the Lord Jesus and his earthly minister, ministry, there was about 120 people, all Jews. So the Jewish uh, group received this experience. Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles received it. Remember, remember uh, Peter went down to Cornelius' household. He was a Roman centurion. centurion. He was a, he was a, a Gentile military official and that household was filled with the Holy Spirit they spake with other tongues and then of course in Acts chapter 8 uh, Philip went down to Samaria and the, even the old lowly Samarians, Samaritans were filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues so every people group God, God poured this blessing out on all of the groups Jew, Gentile and even the mixed up ones the Samaritans Amen that's reason number four, that speaking in tongues is valid, is because all, all God gave this gift to everybody. Number five, the apostle Paul practiced this experience of speaking with other tongues extensively himself. Go with me to uh, Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine, this is the story of how uh, Saul, who, who became the apostle Paul, how he was saved. And it says that uh, a certain disciple in verse number 10 at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. 
So the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before kings, uh, Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, and entering into the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell, fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Notice that Ananias went in, laid his hands on Saul of Tarsus, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in this particular text... It does not specifically say that when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke with other tongues. But if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle himself said he spoke with other tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 18, he said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And the way this is actually the grammar that's used in the original text here, he literally said to the Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. Now, the Corinthian church was known for speaking with other tongues even when they shouldn't because there are some times that speaking with tongues is out of order. And the apostle Paul talked about those things. The, the gift of tongues can be abused and they were abusing it. And But even though they were speaking with tongues sometimes when they shouldn't, People have taken 1 Corinthians and said, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is against speaking with other tongues. Well, that couldn't be because Paul himself said, I thank God. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't bemoan the fact. I thank God. So he had to value it or he wouldn't be thanking God for it. He said, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you put together. So the apostle Paul was a man who, who practiced speaking well of their tongues extensively. Amen? So is speaking with tongues a valid experience today? Well, number one, the Old Testament prophets foretold it. Number two, Jesus endorsed it. Number three, it came to pass. Number four, all people groups, according to the Bible, received this experience, Jews, Gentiles, and even Samaritans, who aren't even listed as a group. The Apostle Paul, number five, the Apostle Paul himself practiced it extensively. Amen. Number six, all churches of the first century practiced it. All the churches that we have record of of the first century, that we have record of these kinds of things, it says that they practiced this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, hold your place there. Go back to chapter 14 again. 1 Corinthians 14. Now, some people have misunderstood the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, like I said, and they claim that 1 Corinthians 14 is a uh, rebuke of speaking with other tongues, but we know it couldn't be because Paul said, I thank God, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than all of you guys put together. So that couldn't have been the, the message in the 14th chapter. But not only that, verse number 39 says, Therefore, brethren, Desire earnestly, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. That, that word forbid is translated restrain in other places. One translation, this is the Weymouth translation of verse number 39 there in the last part of that. Weymouth translation says, do not put any check upon speaking with tongues. Excuse me, that's the Moffat translation. The, uh, the Weymouth translation says, do not check speaking with other tongues. So in summary of 1 Corinthians 14, he wasn't telling them, 
that speaking with other tongues was bad. He was telling it was them that it was good and they, could, they should continue it, but they should know the rules that govern it. If you go back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is, is opening this letter to the, to the church at Corinth and he said in verse number four, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So Paul is thanking God for something they have and something that has happened in them from the Lord. He said, I thank my God always concerning you. One, for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Two, that you were enriched in everything by him. How? In all utterance and in all knowledge. Well, we know that that speaking with other tongues and the interpretation of tongues and prophecy, those three spiritual gifts are called the utterance gifts. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning spirits are called the revelation gifts or knowledge gifts. So he said, I thank God that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So he said, you you were enriched in these spiritual gifts in, in the gifts of utterance even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Spiritual gifts confirm the testimony of Christ. Didn't Jesus say these signs will follow those who believe? In my name, one of the things they'll do is speak with other tongues. So he's saying, he said these signs, these signs will follow. What do do signs do? They confirm something. They testify to something. He said in verse number five here, you were enriched in everything and he's thankful for it. You were, verse number four, he's thanking God for it. In verse number five, you're enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge. That would include the utterance gifts. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So these, these spiritual gifts, including speaking with other tongues, helped con- confirm the testimony of Christ in them. And verse number seven says, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't one of my points, but I'll make this point just as an aside that he's saying that these spiritual gifts, including tongues, should continue right up until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his revelation of his return. Now, notice verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, not, not just the gift of tongues, but including the speaking with other tongues. These are gifts that confirm the Christian, confirm the testimony of Christ, and they ought to continue right up until the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so we see here that the church at Corinth practiced speaking with other tongues, of course, we know from chapter 12, 13, and 14 they did. But it wasn't just the, the uh, church at Corinth. Turn over to, to Ephesians and look at the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, and that should be the sixth chapter, typo on my part. Ephesians 6, he's he's telling the church at Ephesus that they should be praying always. This is verse number 18, Ephesians 6, 18. You should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So he's instructing the church at Ephesus that they should be praying with all manner of prayer, all different kinds of prayer, and they should be praying in the Spirit. One translation reads that way. Use every kind of prayer. This is uh, the Goodspeed translation. It says, use every kind of prayer and entreaty, and at every opportunity, pray in the Spirit. So the church at Ephesus must have been a church that was familiar with praying in the Spirit. Because he told them to pray in the Spirit. Do you see that? Well, well what, is, what is praying in the Spirit? Well, uh, praying in the Spirit is praying in other tongues. If we have a chance, we'll, we'll get over tonight to show that as well. So you have the church at Ephesus 
and, and they were told to pray in the Spirit. Not only that, in the uh, fifth chapter, in verse number 18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If you know anything about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, they come from the spirit of prophecy and people who flow in that speak with other tongues. That's one of the, that's one of the benefits of speaking with other tongues. If you speak often enough and fluently enough, you'll begin to prophesy. You'll begin to speak in, in not only other tongues but in your native tongues by inspiration. And they can also, that speaking can also take the form of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, we see that at Ephesus, but we also see it at the church at Colossae. Turn to Colossians and look at the third chapter. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom. This is Colossians three sixteen, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now again, this doesn't mention tongues, but if you know anything about uh, the, the, the gifts of, of speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you know by, this is one of those things that you only know if you know something about it. And people who were experienced in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs know that comes from the spirit of inspiration, which is where tongues come from. So the, the Colossians uh, were experienced in this. Turn over to Jude again, where we read just a few minutes ago. We read the first few, a uh, couple of verses of Jude. But go down to the 20th verse of Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. So Jude verse 20 says, Beloved, you are to build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So we have the testimony that the, the churches that Jude wrote his epistle to, the churches that Paul ministered in, and also in the eighth chapter of Acts, we have the story where, Peter, where, where uh, Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel to them. And you remember what happened in Samaria after they received the gospel? Turn over there to, to Acts chapter 8. We talked about the fact that the Samaritans was one of those groups, not really a people group. They were half-bred uh, Jews and Gentiles. But they received the Holy Spirit, spoke with other tongues. Well, in... Uh, we read about this in, in, Rome, in Acts 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that is, they had been born again, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, now, this is one of the uh, other occasions in the book of Acts. There's two of them where it doesn't explicitly say that they spoke with other tongues. The other one is Saul of Tarsus. When Ananias, we read that earlier, when Ananias went in and laid his hands on him, said, the Lord sent me that you would receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say he spoke with tongues then, but he said later he spoke with tongues more than everybody. Well, when did he start? Probably when everybody else started, when they were filled with the Spirit. Well, here is the other uh, of two uh, passages where people were filled with the Spirit but it doesn't explicitly say that they spoke with tongues. It just says that Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But now notice what happened right after that. The very next verse. verse. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power or authority also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon, who, whose heart wasn't right with God completely, it says that he saw through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given. Well, you can't see the Holy Spirit being imparted from somebody's hands to somebody else. The Holy Spirit's not visible. So something had to have happened that so got his attention that he wanted to buy the ability to lay his hands on people and people be filled with the Spirit. So something dramatic, he had to have seen something dramatic take place. People have said, well, you know, uh, 
there was, you know, the, when, when hands were laid on them and they were filled with the Spirit, they were just full of joy. That couldn't be it because earlier in the chapter, they were already full of joy. See, if you go back up, when Philip went there to the city of, of uh, Samaria, in verse number five, preached Christ to them, and the multitude with one accord heeded the thing spoken by Philip, verse six, verse eight, and there was great joy in the city. So there was not just joy, but great joy. What would, be, what would great joy be? Would that be a little bit of joy? Would that be, ooh, hallelujah. Great joy would be rejoicing. So that couldn't have been the thing that Simon the sorcerer saw when Peter and John laid his hands on people because that had already taken place. They, were, they already had great joy. So there had to be something that he saw. Well, on the day of Pentecost, uh, go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Talking about what had happened that day. Let me find it here. Peter explaining to the, to, the, to the Jews there in Jerusalem that day, verse number three, verse number 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the promise, from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you now see and hear. Well, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, you can't see him. But he said, you can see the evidence of it and you can hear the evidence of it. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, poured this out which you now see and hear. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can see something and you can hear something. And evidently, Simon, in the eighth chapter of Acts in Samaria, when Peter and John put, his, put their hands on the people who had just recently been saved that they might receive the Holy Spirit, evidently he saw or heard something. Because it says when he saw, let's go back over there to chapter 8. When Peter saw, or Simon saw rather, that through the, through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power, this authority, also that on anyone that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Of course, Peter said, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. Simon wasn't trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was trying to buy the gift of laying hands on people that they received the Holy Spirit. So again, we see that not only did the church in Corinth have people who spoke with tongues, not only did the church at Ephesus not only did the church at Colossae, not only did those who, who uh, the, the apostle Jude wrote his epistle to, we see the Samaritans, the church at Samaritans spoke with other tongues too. So it was, a, it was a, uh, a, a, an experience that all of the churches that we have record of anything like this happening, they all spoke with other tongues. Believers in the first century spoke with other tongues. It would have been an oddity it would have been considered a deficiency in any Christian in the first century had they not spoken with other tongues because it was a gift, like he said, that had been poured out that came directly from Jesus. So number six, point number six was all the churches of the first century practiced speaking with other tongues. Point number seven, this experience has never been withdrawn. It's never been drawn, withdrawn and it has not passed away. I know this is one of the big uh, stumbling blocks a lot of people have because uh, the traditional uh, mainline denominations for, for centuries, many centuries, taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the experience of speaking with other tongues passed away, you know, centuries ago. Most of them believe it passed away after the last original apostles died. In other words, at the close of the first century. But the Bible doesn't support that. History doesn't support that. Because today, people are still being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Amen. Now, there's a scripture that people like to look to that they, that they feel gives support to this idea that speaking with other tongues has passed away. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We ought to examine it. 
1 Corinthians 13, verse number 9, says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now the traditional explanation here that that says that tongues has been done away with or it's passed away, they say that this verse teaches, this passage teaches that when the New Testament came, when the New Testament, when the canon of the New Testament scriptures, when they were all complete, in other words, everything that we have, everything that we have in our New Testament was written in the first century. So the proponents of this idea say that at the close of the first century, when the Bible, when all of the scriptures that would ever be written in the New Testament, when they were completed, that that, that is what's referred to here in verse number 10, that when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away. Now, we didn't read verse number eight, but we should. Verse number eight says, love never fails. That word fails uh, is a little misleading. It really means it never passes away or becomes obsolete. Love never passes away or becomes obsolete. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. They will pass away or become obsolete. Whether, Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And then he goes into talking about uh, when that which is perfect has come in verse 10, then that which is in part will be done away. So people say that when the New Testament was finally completed, and, and it's complete, and the New Testament is complete. If, don't follow people that have new scriptures. <laughs> the New Testament is complete. They say that that's what that was referring to. But there's no evidence in this text that the Bible is what, they were referring to or what the Apostle Paul was referring to. He made no mention of it being the Bible as being that which is perfect. Because you say, well, the, the Bible is perfect. Yeah, the Bible is perfect, but so is the Holy Spirit. He came and tongues began when he came. He was perfect. So there are a lot of perfect things. What, what is it that he's talking about that when it comes, tongues and prophecy and these other gifts will pass away? Well, he tells us when I, he said... Uh, for verse number 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Well, that to me sounds like when we get to heaven. Because we see in a mirror dimly, we don't understand everything about the, even the new, even though we have the complete New Testament, our understanding of it is not complete. Isn't that right? We don't know everything there is to know about it. So we still look through a mirror. Uh, in other words, we, we see the glory of the Lord, but we don't look directly at it. We look at it through a mirror. We see a reflection of it. But there's coming a day when we're going to see him face to face. Glory to God. When that day comes, we will know even as we are known. We'll know everything just as, just as much as God knows about us. We'll know everything one day. So this is talking about when we get to heaven, So when we get to heaven, there won't be any need for speaking with other tongues or other gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy won't be needed. Word of knowledge won't be needed. Word of wisdom won't be needed. Laying hands on the sick won't be needed. Gifts of healings won't be needed. Gift of working of miracles won't be needed. Isn't that right? So uh, there's no evidence whatsoever, scriptural support, for the notion that that speaking with tongues has been withdrawn or has passed away. Uh, Number eight, real quickly, let's, let's close. Uh, I've got 10, so we'll do these, this one, and uh, I'll just read the last two. Speaking with other tongues is the outward biblical evidence that a person has been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is point number eight. Speaking with other tongues is the outward biblical evidence that a person has been filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we know this? Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak. Why did they speak? They spoke because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. One follows the other. Acts chapter 8, we pointed out that the Samaritans, it doesn't say they spoke with tongues, but something happened 
that was outward. There was an outward demonstration because you can't see the Holy Spirit. When Peter and John laid his hands on the Samaritans, Simon could not have seen the Holy Spirit come upon them, but he saw the evidence of it. So something outward happened. Acts chapter 9, when Ananias laid his hands on Saul of Tarsus, again, it doesn't say he spoke with tongues, but Paul later said he spoke with tongues. So he had the evidence of it. In Acts chapter 10, go with me real quick over there. Acts chapter 10, this is Cornelius' household. This is when the Holy Spirit went to the, to the full Gentile world. Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, this is to Cornelius, who was a Roman uh, centurion in his household of Gentiles. It says, while Peter was still preaching the word, the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know? Verse number 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That was the evidence. That was the outward sign or the biblical evidence that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. In uh, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, this is a further uh, evidence that the church of Ephes, that the church at Ephesus spoke with other tongues because it happened, verse number one, Acts 19, one, when Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. So Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So here we see again and again and again that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak with tongues and it is the out, sometimes they prophesy. Doesn't, they only said that one time. But the every time it said they spoke with other tongues. So speaking with other tongues is the biblical outward evidence that a person has been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll just give you verse number nine and in ten, number uh, or point number nine is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the experience of speaking with other tongues is an experience every Christian throughout the church age should have and value. Now I say that because it's a gift from God. I say that because God has provided it. It is one of the things that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he poured out, he received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, this precious gift for the church, and he poured it out on the church and they began to speak with tongues and prophesy. So every Christian ought to value this, every Christian ought to have it, and if you don't have it, you should receive. Because you know, it tickles me sometimes when people will say, well, the speaking will of the tongues, that's a lesser gift. Well, it, it isn't. I can, I can prove that from the scriptures. But even if it was, the very least God has, I want. I can think about that. Well, I don't want that. That's one of the least of God's gifts. Yeah, but it's one of God's gifts. I, I, even if it's in the bargain basement, you know, used to the department stores had a basement and downstairs they had the, what they called the bargain, you know, basement. Everything downstairs was, was marked down, you know, and that's where you went for the stuff, you know, that, that uh, uh, maybe had been picked over, you know, and people didn't want. They put it downstairs. Anybody of you old enough to remember that? Bargain basements? Listen, any, God doesn't have a bargain basement, but if he had, I want everything in it. I want everything in God's bargain basement because there's nothing he has I don't want. Amen? If you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit with the, with the experience, according to the Bible, the, ex, with the experience which is the evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit, you need this experience. Amen? And if you, and if you don't speak with tongues, you're, God loves you, everybody loves you, there's nothing wrong with you in that sense, you know, that, that, you're, that you're not a valid Christian. We, we don't mean to infer that at all, but you're missing something. 
If you've not been filled with the Spirit and had the experience of speaking with other tongues, you are missing something valuable that God gave, that he predicted, that the prophets talked about. Jesus endorsed it. It came to pass. It's for today. Amen. You ought to have it. That's number nine. Number 10, it has many important benefits, purposes. Speaking with other tongues has many different purposes and benefits that we don't have time to, uh, to uh, outline tonight. But it's not just something, it, it's not something that, uh, well, you know, it, it's a gift. God has it. You ought to have it. If that's all there was to it, there was no benefit to it. It's just a gift. Have anybody ever received a gift before that you didn't have any use for? I'm saying naturally. I know you have. We just went through Christmas. Don't look at me like you. I know you. some of you guys got a tie or a pair of socks. You look at it and go, oh, my Lord, what am I going to do with that? Even if there was no benefit to speaking with other tongues, didn't have any purpose really. It was just, it was just that crazy-looking tie that God gave us. I mean, if it was just a gift, it didn't have any any real value. We ought to have it just in honor to God, because He gave it. But it's more than that. There are actually benefits. There are actually purposes. There's a purpose. Many purposes associated with speaking with other tongues. They're all important. They're all valuable. Amen. So that's, that's why this experience is valid today. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.